Well, a lot of what I'm going to say uh, is really uh, based off of an article I wrote uh, years ago for a journal that our PCPC at Work uh, staff put out called Cultivate. I'm not sure if it's still much in print or not. I think we have a few down the bookstore, but it looks like this. I think you can also go online and read some of the articles. It's a great collection of, again, if you're interested in this topic, uh, challenging ways to think about God and our work. All right, so here's how I want to start. Um, Work is hard. Anyone want to disagree with that? Work is hard. Have you ever thought about why it's hard? I want to talk about that some today. Work is hard. It's challenging for us. And for some of us in this room, we find ourselves employed. Others of you are not employed. And you want to be employed. Others of you are retired. Uh, Some of you are students and you're not yet employed. But for all of us, we are um, finding ourselves in life as workers. That's beyond whether you're paid or not paid. Uh, A great example of that is my wife and perhaps some of yours. My wife works really hard. Her job is stinking hard and she gets paid zero for it. (laughs) She's a stay-at-home mom. Uh, Today she is going to be homeschooling. We are part of a, a school that two days a week they're in school and two days a week they're at home. She's going to be homeschooling my second grader, my kindergartner, with a two-year-old running around. Any of you want to sign up for that? <laughs> that is hard work. But man, that's her calling. That's how God has wired her. It's how he's equipped her for today. Uh, after today, many of you, if not most of you, are going to leave this place and go to your job, your employment. We spend, as Brett said, the majority of our time working. Again, some of that's employed, some of it's not. And yet we find ourselves confronted every single day with the reality that work is hard. What do we do with that? I, I don't know if any of you have heard this story before. I grew up in Waco and then went to A&M. And I, I lived with some guys at A&M who were surfers. Now, I don't know if you know where uh, A&M is. It's in College Station. <laughs> that is nowhere near an ocean. But man, these guys were hilarious. And They would purposely watch the weather to see if a tropical storm was coming in, not to take cover, but to get as close, fast to the coast as fast as possible. (laughs) Because if you want to surf in Galveston, (laughs) you're going to need a tropical depression (laughs) to make that happen. I mean, these guys were nuts. And so my senior year, uh, they took me surfing with them, not in Galveston, thankfully. No offense if any of you are from Galveston. Uh, But we went to San Diego. And... uh, I am um, I'm challenged in a lot of ways when it comes to athletic things, and one of them is my center of gravity is about 10 feet above my head. And so skiing and I do not mix well, and then surfing, man, that, that was, that's a hard sport. And if you've ever surfed, you know. I mean, it just it takes a lot of work to catch a wave. But as we were out there, you know, there's a community. And if you've ever been out to California, if you've ever vacationed out there, man, there's a community of people that really rally around surfing. And I met a guy on that trip who was probably in his early 60s and just started talking to him and, and, you know, just making small talk. You know, how often do you do this? Well, every single day. Uh, Well, how early do you come out here? Oh, I I get out here at least by 6, sometimes 5.30 in the morning. Okay, well, why do you come out here that early? Uh, Is it just, are the waves better? Well, I'm coming out here before work. Oh, that's interesting. What do you do? Well, I'm a mailman. Oh, that must be awesome in California. 
I mean, the weather, you know, so nice, walking door to door. That's great. Why did you choose to be a mailman? And he looked at me and said, there's two types of people in this world. There are those who live to work and those who work to live. And he told me he's the second. For him, being a mailman was just a means to an end, a way to get a paycheck and income in order to support his life in San Diego so he could surf. Why is he a mailman? Because deep down, he's really a surfer. Okay? For some of you, that makes a lot of sense. It's a lot of logical sense. But I think it's an illustration for how most of us view the world. We tend to live as bifurcated human beings. We, we look at ourselves in the world through the lens of dualism. The idea of, for him, it was work versus recreation. Work is not fun for him, right? Even if you are getting to be outside and deliver the mail door to door. Now, for him, work is just a means to an end, a way to get a paycheck and order to do something totally different. Recreation. For you, maybe your bifurcation, your divided life is not just work and recreation. Maybe for some of you, it's work and family. That you see those two things as totally different. Who you are in the workplace and who you are in family life are totally different versions of yourself. Uh, you know, and some of you have stories probably of chewing out um, an employee on the phone with just being red and just mad as a hornet in your face and then in the same second switching on a dime and caring for your five-year-old daughter, right? Work versus recreation, work versus our family life. And then for many of us, if not most of us, we tend to think of work as totally separate than our lives as Christians. The idea of faith versus our work. It's who we are on a Sunday morning as we go to church, and then who we are on a Monday morning are two totally different versions of ourselves. And this morning, I want to challenge you to begin to think about what does it look like to live an integrated life? Not a bifurcated, not a divided life, not a dualistic life, but to recognize God has made you as a man to be who you are and who God's created you to be in every aspect of your life, whether it's as a dad or as a roommate or as a husband or as a boss or as an employee or as a Christian man. But it's not only that, I think there's some part of us that puts work in a separate category. Maybe that's because it's just what we do. Maybe that's because it, it does uh, hold so much of our identity for us as men. That's why it's so hard sometimes when we're between jobs. We feel almost aimless for some of you who are now retired. Feeling like, now what do I do? Now, now who am I if I am not who I was as a worker? And so this morning, I want to begin to give you a vision of what it means to be a worker made in the image of God. And that that idea of work transcends employment or unemployment, retirement or student that God has uniquely wired you, called you, and placed you in different places throughout the week for his glory so that you might bear his image, so that you would be his ambassador in a fallen and broken world. So the first thing I want you to say, see is this, is that we were created in the image of God. 
And being created in the image of God, that means we were created to be workers. We were created to work. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote that there are no ordinary people. You have never met a mere mortal. (laughs) I know it's early. It's like, what in the world does that mean? What Lewis is saying is, look, we're, we're not just flesh and bones. As human beings, we are image bearers. So you've never, never met a mere mortal, and that everyone in this room, I mean, look around, you've got a lot of image here this morning. That as the people of God, as men of God, whether you believe in God or not, you are created in God's image. And I want you to go to, on your sheet, Genesis chapter 1, and this is how the Bible records creation, specifically the creation of human beings what it means for us to be made in his image. Genesis 1 verse 26 says that then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We were made in God's image. What does that have to do with work? Well, God is a creator. He is a worker. He worked for six days to create the world. On the seventh day, he rested. I wish we had time today to talk about the importance of rest. Maybe we'll get to it. Maybe we'll talk about the supremacy of Christ over rest later. But he worked. He's creative. He fashioned the world into existence, and we've been made in his image. But not only that, notice what he says, verse 26. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Now, what is the word dominion? Well, dominion means ownership. It means stewardship. It means having a kingly reign or rule. We've been talking in the fall, about the supremacy of Christ over all things. Another way to say that is the dominion of Jesus Christ. That he has dominion over every aspect of your life. But not only that, what Genesis says is not only does God have dominion over every aspect of your life, but it's saying that he has entrusted to us dominion. I want you to think about that. God has given you dominion. The question for you this morning is where? How? What has God given you dominion over? What has he entrusted his kingly reign over? If you are a Christian this morning, that means you are now one of God's sons. That makes you princes in the kingdom of God. You are vice regents, co-heirs with Christ, God has entrusted to you dominion. And with that dominion, he gives us a command. You see it later in verse 28. It says, And God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Theologians call this the cultural mandate. Be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. That was our first calling as human beings, to be fruitful, 
to bear fruit, to be productive, right? To toil and to labor and to see from the work of our hands goodness and flourishing made in the image of God that what we would work at would be good. Just as God created the world and said it is good that we would toil, that we would labor, and we would see that there is goodness and beauty and flourishing to the work of our hands. Be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. God placed Adam in authority over the earth. Not for him to lord over it, not for him to be wasteful of it, but for him to be a steward. Now, what's a steward? A steward is a caretaker. It's someone who has been entrusted with something that is not theirs, right? A piece of property, or perhaps it's a fund, a sum of money for them to steward. It's not theirs to own, but it's theirs to care for as if it were their own. God has called us to be stewards over his kingdom and over his creation. He has given us dominion, not because we own the world, but because he does. And he's made us in his image to be caretakers, to be stewards. Have you thought of your life that way? (laughs) How often do you think of your life that way? To recognize that everything in your life right now as a man has been gifted to you, whatever it is. Now, you and I have probably bought into a a narrative at some point that uh, we earn what we have. And whether that is an occupation or even a wife. (laughs) Some of you maybe think that you worked really hard to get your spouse. I think your spouse would think differently. The same thing goes with our work, with our talents, with God, how God has gifted us, everything that we possess, every resource, every amount of money that we have, God has given to us to steward. How are you stewarding the resources of God? How have you stewarded the dominion that God has given you? We have been made in the image of God. And what I want you to recognize that all of this is before the fall. This has been hardwired into us from the beginning. But there's another piece of language that we see in Genesis even before the fall, not just the image of dominion or steward. We see this in Genesis 2 verse 15. It's there on your sheet. It says that the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So first we're told that we as God's people made in his image as his men have been called to have dominion, to be fruitful, multiply. And then we're told that Adam was placed in a garden to work it. The word here in the Hebrew means to cultivate, right? To till the soil, to get your hands dirty. Think about the intentionality and skill that it takes to grow something in the ground. God entrusted the garden of Eden to Adam. And then he told him, Work this, cultivate this. And in the very next verses, he also told them, there's a couple trees I want you to know about. One of them you can eat from, and one of them you can't. In one verse, he's saying, look, be a good steward. Cultivate the garden that I've given you. And in the next verse, he's saying, but don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We've been called as stewards 
to recognize at any given moment we're either going to be good gardeners, working to get our hands dirty, to see goodness and beauty and flourishing in the world that God has entrusted to us, whether that's in a financial office or in a doctor's office or in a classroom as a teacher or as a student, whether that's as a retired person, as you meet with men that you've been doing business with in the past for the duration of your careers in the past, whether that's your role as a dad or a husband, as a roommate, as a friend, however God has placed you, God has called you to the garden he's entrusted to you to cultivate, to work it. But he's also called you to do it rightly. If you know the story of the Bible, you know that Adam did not do that well. And just like Adam, we are prone to make a mess of our gardens. We are prone to fail, to cultivate well, and we are prone to kind of mess it up and to invite weeds thorns and thistles into our work. The second thing I want you to see about the reality of work is that it's hard. (laughs) But what I want you to see this morning is that it's not just hard, just haphazardly, because that's a fact of life and what are you going to do about it? I want you to see that actually work is hard because of the fall. We have been cursed with the difficulty of work. It's there on your sheet, also in the book of Genesis. Genesis 3, verses 17 through 19 this is, where, this is after the fall, after Adam and Eve have eaten of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, after they have willfully disobeyed God, called his word into question, said, we're going to believe ourselves and not you. We're going to follow the advice of the serpent and not you. This is where sin enters the world. And with it, disease and chaos and brokenness of every kind, including the difficulty of work. Genesis 3 verse 17 says to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, which I commanded you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. And in pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it, you were taken For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now there's a couple curses here that I want to point out. The one at the very end is death itself. The wages of sin are death. Out of the ground you are taken, to dust you shall return. But the first is that by the sweat of our brows we will consume food. That the ground that we've been called to cultivate... The gardens that we've been called to steward are now filled with thorns and thistles that now work has become hard. Now the image, of course, if you're a gardener, maybe that's a hobby of yours, is very real for you. I'm not sure that we have any farmers here this morning. If you're a farmer, this is incredibly real for you. But I want to challenge you this morning that if you're not a gardener or you're not in the farming industry, that this image, this idea of the ground being cursed is well beyond the farming community. This extends to every occupation, every vocation. And we experience this every single day. That the gardens we've been entrusted with to cultivate have been poisoned. They're now broken, that the ground is cursed 
that the labor that we do is hard, that by the sweat of our brows, that's how we get bread. That's how we get provision. Now, we experience this in so many different ways. Perhaps right now in your mind, as you think about going to work after this, you know about some thorns and thistles that are awaiting you. Some of them are in the form of an email that you do not want to reply to. For some of you, those thorns and thistles are a deal you've been working on for two years that is now beginning to unravel. That's a thorn and that's a thistle. Others of you, it's just being contentious that you have a boss who has a toxic brand of leadership that doesn't really know how to lead a staff or a team and you are bearing the brunt of that. Sometimes those thorns and thistles are a conglomerate that your boss lives literally 800 miles away from you. (laughs) And on some days that seems awesome, but most days it actually makes things pretty frustrating. For others of you, those thorns and thistles are the fact that you have lost your job. And perhaps it was of no fault of your own. And because there was downsizing or cuts made or there was a different direction in the company, now you found yourself without work. And you're experiencing those thorns and thistles firsthand as you're trying to find a new occupation. We experience the thorns and thistles of work every single day. Why? Because regardless of how you work and where you work, the reality is is you're working with people. And every human being just like you is a broken sinner just like me. And so those thorns and thistles are there in the form of broken relationships among coworkers, in the form of the reality that our economy rises and falls. Work is hard. And it's not just hard because that's the way it is. It's hard because it is part of the fall part of the curse. And you and I are confronted with the reality of the fall in our work every single day. Briefly, before I end, one of the ways that I want you to consider this morning, perhaps maybe the number one way that we view thorns and thistles in our work is this, that as men, our work can become an idol to us. Easiest way I can demonstrate this I want you to imagine meeting someone for the first time, another man. And let's say that you're meeting them, um, well, anywhere really, but it's outside of your current office. The first question you're going to ask is what? What's your name? Second question is going to be what? What do you do? Why do we do that? Because as men, what we do Our work is wrapped up into our identity. Now, what I want you to see this morning is part of that is God-given. God has created you to work before the fall. Before work became hard, He wired you to work. He has gifted and called you to work. And He has called you to worship Him through your work, whatever that work is. But because of the fall... Because thorns and thistles have entered into the gardens that we've been called to steward. No longer do we worship through our work, but we worship work itself. And work becomes an idol. We find our identity, rather than being sons of God, we think ourselves as workers, as producers, as employees, as bosses. And this is true regardless, again, of 
your employment or not, your occupation, whatever it is, it's true of me as a pastor. Uh, some of you have heard my story um, coming out of college. I knew I felt called to ministry, knew I wanted to be in the church, that that would be part of my vocation. As I was considering seminary, I was wrestling with whether I should go or not. That should give you a clue right there where my head was at, how arrogant I was. Should I go? I'm not really sure I need it. And met a, uh, a friend of mine who's a pastor, and he told me one phrase that I needed to hear. He said, just go pro. Don't go to seminary. Just go straight into the pros. So I did. Skipped seminary and went right into vocational ministry. And I learned really quickly after about a year and a half that, man, I do not know a whole lot. And one of the biggest things I recognized is that my identity was wrapped up into my work as a vocational minister. I ended up going to seminary not just because I recognized I didn't know a lot up here. I went to seminary because I recognized I didn't know anything in here. We are all tempted to make idols out of our work. What I want you to see is the solution is not to quit your job. <laughs> That's not what God's calling you to do. The solution is to recognize it's actually through your work that God has made you to worship. That you've been given a God-given occupation, vocation, or calling in order to worship and glorify Him. Not to worship the thing itself, the gift, but to worship the giver. So last thing, and where I'm going to end very quickly and send you to your table is this. God has called us to redeem the world through our work. He's called us to be his ambassadors. You'll see there on your sheet, 2 Corinthians 5. This is a, a phenomenal passage, one of my favorites in the New Testament. And the reason is because of how sweeping it is in just a few verses. Again, we're thinking about creation, the fact that we are made in the image of God, and the image has been tainted in us. Right, the thorns and thistles of the work that we see is actually in us too, that the image of God's been broken in us. And notice 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That should give you a clue. What is redemption all about? So often I think we think the gospel is the fall and then it's redemption. But that's not the full story of the gospel. There's actually something that happened before Genesis chapter 3. It's chapters 1 and 2. The full storyline of the gospel is creation, fall, redemption. So when Paul says, look, if anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation, he's saying, look, what redemption is, is not just the fall going away and you're forgiven, but it's all that existed before the fall is now being restored. That you are a new creation. That the goodness and beauty, the dominion and fruitfulness that God gave us in creation is now being restored to you. You are a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled to himself, and notice this what he says, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Who's he talking to? Is he talking to just pastors and missionaries and church worker types? He's talking to all Christians. He's saying, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean for you this morning? It means your job, no matter what it is, whatever your calling is, however you spend your time, somehow, someway, you've been called in the ministry of reconciliation. 
You've been called to seek the reconciliation of all things to the death and resurrection through Jesus Christ in every single thing that you do, including your vocation. Verse 20, he says, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. After this Bible study, you are going to be sent out into the world, into the marketplace. God has made you as his ambassador to make his appeal through you. And so as we end this morning, I want you to think about it this way. What does that mean practically? Does that mean that you should invite your coworkers to church, to share the gospel with them, to treat your work prayerfully, and to pray with and for your work and for your coworkers? The answer to all three of those questions is, of course, yes. That's challenging in and of itself. But the real challenge, what I want to leave you with this morning is I want you to begin to see your work in and of itself as redemptive. To be a good steward of your vocation is, yes, to share the gospel at work, to pray for your coworkers, to invite them to church, but it is also doing work well that honors God, glorifying God through your work, doing your work with integrity, with honor, with dignity, treating people as image bearers that they are made to be. Recognize that God has made you a man of character. And as a man of character, as his image bearer, as his ambassador, you are reflecting him in your work. So to end Ephesians 2 verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So often we think of good works as just church type works. I believe Paul's talking about all works. You have been created for good works. Yes, inside the church, but outside the church as well. What kind of good works has God called you to do in your occupation, in your work today? Let me leave you to your tables. I went a little over time, so please stick around. This is such an important topic. Please talk about it among your tables. Really wrestle with it. And uh, we'll see you next week. Father, we love you. We thank you for your love and care for us that you've made us as image bearers. And as image bearers, you've made us to work, to cultivate, to be good stewards, to have dominion. We thank you for the many different callings represented in this room. We recognize that for some of us, the subject is hard and difficult, even more particular today than other days. For others of us, we feel like our work is a deep source of pride and maybe not in a good way. So Lord, help us to wrestle rightly. Help us to worship you through our work. Deliver us from the idolatry of work, but help us to be good stewards of it and to recognize that you deeply care about our life as workers and you deeply care about the work of our hands. Lord, help us to see the ways you're calling us to be your ambassadors, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.